Let me invite you to grab your Bible. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5. How far back can you trace your family tree? There's a lot of you. Maybe you can go way back. I always think it's so cool when families have extensive records of their ancestry. and They know where their family came from and who they might be related to. I think that's cool. Last Christmas, one of my sisters got one of those DNA kits where you can send in your DNA and they send back information about your ancestry. And we were all a little excited to see where we come from and what our family background is. I always thought we were just hillbillies. Uh, but apparently, even hillbillies come from somewhere. So she got the results a little while later in her email and she texted it out to the family. And it turns out my ancestry is pretty boring. Uh, yeah, I, I was hoping to be descended from like Vikings or some sort of warrior tribe. I thought that might explain, you know, my, my muscular physique and my strength. And that, was, that was serious. No, I'm kidding. Um, but it didn't say anything about that. All it said is that we're just, we're just Europeans. <laughs> it was kind of disappointing. I do have one claim to fame, though. My Meemaw, who is now in heaven, she told me, and she never told a lie in her whole life, she told me that we are related to Daniel Boone. Yes, that Daniel Boone. Man, that's so cool, but you know what I think about it? I think Daniel Boone might be a little disappointed in me as his descendant. Like, Daniel Boone was a master hunter and trapper. He fought in the Revolutionary War. He, like, built Kentucky or something. I just think he would be a little let down that I don't personally kill my dinner and I complain when it's below 50 degrees outside. I'll still claim him, though, of course. It sounds cool. But here's the thing. We, we all have ancestors. We all have a line of people that brought us to where we are today, whether we know them or not. And I think we're all a little curious about our family trees. That's how those ancestry companies stay in business. Because we understand that our family's past does have some connection to us today, even if it's just the particular makeup of our DNA. Tracing our physical ancestry can be interesting. But this morning, as we continue our series in the book of Romans, we're going to take some time to trace our spiritual ancestry. And we're going to see that our spiritual ancestry actually has a much bigger impact on the person we are today than where our family comes from. Because there's one ancestor that we're all stuck with, but there's another ancestor we can actually join. And he has the power to change the very DNA of our souls. We find these two key ancestors in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. That's the passage we'll use today to trace our spiritual ancestry. And the first ancestor we'll see is the one we all have in common, a man by the name of Adam. Look with me at Romans chapter 5. We're going to take this piece by piece. Let's start with verse 12. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. All right, short verse. There's a lot going on. So let's start with this question. Who is the one man that Paul is talking about? He says this is the man through whom sin entered the world. Well, if you've read the Bible, you studied the first book of the Bible, Genesis, you know Paul's talking about the first man that God created. His name was Adam. On the sixth day of creation, God made Adam first from the dust of the earth, and then he said it's not good for man to be alone. So he created who? Eve, right? Adam and Eve, they became husband and wife, and they were commanded to multiply and fill the earth. And contrary to what some may say today, Adam and Eve were real people. 
Paul viewed them as real people. He viewed them as the actual first people that started all of our family trees. So it is important that we know Adam is not some kind of myth. right? Genesis is a true story. Adam was a real man. He was the first man. And Adam and Eve were in a great situation. It was quite perfect, actually. At this point in time, there was no sin, no evil, no pain, no death. God and man had a perfect relationship. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship. Can you imagine that? No anger, no fighting, no headaches, no cancer, no losing loved ones, no loneliness, no depression, no abuse, none of that. Like Adam and Eve had everything they could ever want except God gave them one command, one command to remind them that he was the creator and they were the creation. He said, don't eat from one tree. It's the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Do you remember what happened? A serpent came along tempted, we know that was Satan, he tempted Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit, they disobeyed God, and that moment is when sin entered the world. Paul tells us it wasn't just sin that came in the world in that moment, he says in verse 12, and death through sin. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, they, they would now experience death. Their bodies began to age and ache, and eventually their hearts stopped beating, and their bodies began to decay. This reminds us that death is not natural. We understand that's a part of life. We all have to deal with it. But it really shouldn't be. It was not a part of God's original good design. Adam and Eve were going to live forever. And we sense this, don't we? Every time we go to a funeral, we feel it's, it's painful. Death is the ripping away of a human soul from a human body. But there's a worse kind of death. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they also died spiritually. Their souls rebelled against God. They became separated from him. They lost the relationship they had. They got kicked out of the garden. And they moved from a place of friendship to a place of judgment. And this was just the beginning. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, there was a curse placed on the whole earth. Everything was broken. Now there would be sickness and natural disasters and conflict amongst people. And every person to come from Adam and Eve's senses, which is every person would be born with this same disease. Everyone is born a sinner. This means precious, sweet babies are not born innocent or sinless or good at all. And if you have kids, you know this, right? <laughs> That's why I tell people the hardest ministry in the church is the little kids' ministry. Nowhere else do we have so many depraved sinners in one room. <laughs> and that includes my two little depraved sinners. That may sound harsh, but it's true. We are born with this bent away from God in rebellion against him. Therefore, every person is born with a clock ticking over their head, counting down the days until they too breathe their last breath. It's not fun to think about. It's morbid. But it's a part of our family tree, and we need to know it if we want to understand what's wrong with us and what's wrong with the world. It all started with one man, the first man. Let's keep going, verses 13 and 14. For sin, indeed, was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, let's remember that throughout this letter of Romans, Paul's talking to two groups of people. There were Jewish Christians and there were Gentile Christians. The Jews were the group of people who had the law. They'd received that from Moses on Mount Sinai. They knew the law. But the Gentiles didn't. They didn't have the law. They didn't know the law. So Paul's been making clear throughout this book that both of those groups, whether they have the law or not, 
Both groups are sinners in need of a Savior. And that's what he does again here. He says the law didn't come until Moses gave, God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, but people still sinned before that. As Paul says, sinning without the law wasn't counted as this explicit transgression because there was no written down rule the people broke, but it was still sin. Sin has always been in the world since Adam. And that means death has been in the world since Adam. Now, our sin may not look exactly like Adam's did, but Paul's made clear all of us know right or wrong. And all of us willingly choose to do wrong against God. Paul ends this section by telling us that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Now, it's important to understand, one of the coolest parts of studying the Old Testament is seeing throughout its pages something we call typology. You may remember, we learned about typology a few Advent seasons ago. We did a series called True and Better. Typology is the idea that certain people, events, and institutions in the Old Testament foreshadow certain people, events, and institutions to come. We don't just like read the Bible and kind of make those up where we like, or, oh, this sounds cool. The New Testament actually makes those connections for us like Paul does right here. He tells us, Adam was a type of Jesus. In other words, Adam foreshadowed and he pointed to Christ in a particular way. What is that particular way? Well, there's a theological term we use to describe the significance of Adam. It's called, it's a big word alert, okay, big word alert. It's called federal headship. Okay, I know we're getting into some really nerdy theology stuff, but hang with me. This matters. Federal headship, it simply means that Adam was the head of all humanity. Because he was the first man, because of his covenant with God, he became our representative. And therefore, what Adam chose to do affected everyone else. It's kind of like the uh, captain of a sports team. Every football game begins how? With a coin toss, right? Each team sends their captains out to the midfield, and the ref has the coin toss, and one team gets to call it. He tosses it up in the air, and whichever team wins the toss, those captains who are elected by the team get to determine if they want the ball first or not. And whatever the captain picks, whatever he decides, affects everyone else on the team. Adam was the captain of team people. What he decided, what he did has now affected all of us, even though we weren't alive then. And even though we might think we would have chosen differently, we wouldn't have. He was God's chosen head for his people, and his sin brought guilt on all of us. So here's our first point this morning. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's about our common ancestor. Number one, Adam brought sin and death. So if you're still tracking with me, hadn't fallen asleep. If Adam was our representative and he had a covenant with God, and he was our team captain, and he chose poorly, and he transferred sin and guilt and death to all of us, then in order to fix our problem, we need a new representative, someone who will make the right choice at the coin flip, which is always heads, right? Someone who can deal with our sin and guilt and transfer life to us instead of death. Who could that be? Well, this is why Adam is a type of Jesus. We're about to see Jesus is a true and better Adam. He's the representative that did what Adam couldn't do and then some. He's the perfect team captain that will guide us to victory. And that's where Paul turns now. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
Paul begins now to highlight for us the differences between Adam and Jesus. Both these men had significant impacts on us, but there are some key differences. The first difference he highlights is what Adam and Jesus did. Both men did something very important. They both ushered in covenants with God, but what they did could not have been more different. He starts by saying the free gift is not like the trespass. This is the key. Notice that phrase, is not like. What Adam did was commit a trespass. He knew God's command and he chose to sin against him. He broke the covenant, but what Jesus did was the opposite. Jesus fulfilled the covenant with God. He obeyed all of God's law perfectly and he gave us a free gift. So Adam trespassed and therefore he gave us death, but Christ obeyed and he gave us life. That's why salvation is called a free gift. It's not based on our worthiness or what we're owed or what we did or didn't do. It's freely given through Jesus because of what he did. And now, whereas the one man, Adam, brought death to many, the one man, Jesus, has brought grace to many. And this grace, he says, abounds. I love that word. God's grace is abounding. It's overflowing to those who trust in Christ. So that's the first Difference, Adam and Christ both represented humanity, yet what they did was very different. Let's keep going. Verses 16 and 17. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. There's that phrase again. He said, is not like. Here's the second difference between Adam and Jesus. It's the result of what they did, the consequences of their actions. Adam, as our representative, as our team captain, he committed the trespass, and the result was condemnation for us all. Mankind was judged and God, by God condemned to a punishment, and as we've seen, the punishment was death. That was the result of Adam's work. But the result of Christ's work was the opposite. Jesus, as our representative, as our team captain, he lived a perfect life. And the result was justification. Another big word alert. Remember that word, what that means? To be justified means just as if I'd never sinned. And just as if I'd always obeyed. Justification is God's act of declaring you innocent, freed, forgiven, and righteous in his sight. And that came because of Jesus. He lived the perfect life. He died a death on the cross in our place, and he rose from the dead, and the result of his actions is justification for us. See, the result of what Adam and Jesus did could not be more different. But there's one more difference Paul wants us to see, and that's the difference in the power of Adam and Jesus. See, Adam was only a man, just like us. Therefore, he had the power to sin, but he did not have the power to fix it. So Paul says in verse 16, the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. One trespass, one sin. That's all it took to bring humanity under the curse of sin and death. But look at the rest of the verse. He says the free gift following not just one trespass, not just two, but many trespasses brought justification. What Jesus did had so much power. It was so great that it was able to fix many trespasses. In fact, it was able to completely cancel out all of our sin. That's why we see that phrase in verse 17. He says, much more. Jesus was greater than Adam. 
What he did was greater than what Adam did. The tree that Jesus died on was greater than the tree that Adam ate from. The food that Jesus provided was greater than the fruit that Adam ate. And the victory that Jesus had over the serpent at his resurrection was greater than the defeat Adam had from the same serpent. Ultimately, grace is greater than sin. Don't you love that song? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. This is why what Jesus did has the power to cancel out, to overrule everything bad that came before. Jesus is the true and better Adam. He is the God-man, the perfect representative that we needed, and he made right all that we made wrong. My son is about to be two years old, and he loves to make messes. Uh, in fact, it's his greatest life skill currently. Literally, from sun up to sun down, he walks around the house destroying everything in sight. So my wife and I then spend the rest of the day going around cleaning it up, putting things back in their place. And yes, we're trying to teach him how to clean up. But here's the thing, the more he tries to help, the worse the mess becomes. He needs help. He needs a parent. He needs someone to come behind him and fix and clean up everything he can't. See, that's what Jesus has done for us. Adam blew it. And then we came along and we blew it too. And the result was awful. Death, evil, destruction, everything that's wrong in the world. But the good news is that Jesus is coming behind us and made everything right again. He's putting everything back in its place. He's dealing with sin and evil. He's doing what we can never do for ourselves. So whereas Adam brought sin and death, here's the second point today. Jesus brought grace and life. Look at how Paul wraps up this passage with this last section, verses 18 and 19. It says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. There's the summary of the passage right there. And this is what we might call gospel math. Do you like math? I'm not a big fan of math, but I like this math, okay? He says, one man plus one sin equals many sinners. But one man plus one righteous life equals life for many sinners. I like that math. And this tells us something really important about Jesus' life that we often miss. Jesus was perfect. And he had to be perfect. Because if he were not, he would have been just like Adam and every man that came after him. If Jesus had sinned, the whole plan would have failed. But he didn't. And he was tested just like Adam was. It's fascinating to go read in the Gospels the story of Jesus praying and being tempted in the wilderness. Do you remember that? He's been fasting and praying for 40 days when that same serpent from the garden comes along. And just like Genesis 3, Satan pulled the same trick. He lied. He took God's word and he twisted it. And he held out a proposition. He tempted Jesus to sin. He held out that same piece of fruit and he said, eat it. But this time mankind was victorious. Jesus refused to give in and he defeated temptation. And he went on to live the rest of his life without ever sinning. And Paul tells us his obedience is a key part of the gospel. His perfect life is just as much a part of the story as his death and resurrection. Because it's his perfect life that's transferred to us. And makes us righteous today. 
Paul then closes this section by reminding us one more time of the power of grace. Look at these last two verses, verses 20 and 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When we think of the law, it talks about the law, those ten commandments. We think that the purpose was to make people behave and be good. And that was certainly God's desire for his people to be holy, but the law also had another purpose. And that was to show us that we could not behave and be good on our own. The law was given to show us just how sinful we really are. And that's what Paul means when he says the law came in to increase the trespass. See, once people learn the Ten Commandments, did they say, oh, I didn't know that was bad. I guess I'll stop doing that. No, things actually got worse. People knew what not to do, and they chose to do it anyway. So the law increased. Mankind's sin got worse. But here's Paul's key point, where sin increased Grace abounded all the more. As sin got worse, grace got better. Think back to my son making his messes. (laughs) He cannot make a mess so big that I will refuse to clean it up. He cannot get so much spaghetti all over himself that I will eventually say, nope, that's it. Fix it on your own. (laughs) I love him. I'm his parent, so I'm always going to help him. And in fact... The bigger the mess he makes, the more my love for him is displayed in making it right. That's the power of grace. And I think it helps us to understand a little bit why God allowed sin to enter the world. Have you ever wondered that? Why God allowed Satan to enter that garden in the first place? Why he put that tree there? Why he allowed Adam and Eve to be tempted and why he allowed them to sin? Could he have stopped it if he wanted He could have, but he didn't. Why? Well, the truth is we don't fully know God's ways and why he does all that he does. But one of the reasons I believe God allowed sin to enter the world is so that he could display his grace. We would not know the power of God's redeeming grace if we did not first feel the sting of sin. And the good news is that no matter how bad the sin gets, how deep it goes, how messy it becomes, grace always goes deeper. Jesus can rewrite our spiritual ancestry. I don't know about you, but when I think back through my actual family tree, I see some good and some bad. My ancestors did some things that I'm proud of. My grandfather, who's still alive, he's now 94 years old. He was a high school principal in Boaz, Alabama for decades. It's amazing to see uh, online and hear stories of students whose life he impacted so long ago. I'm proud of that. But I don't know about you, but there's also some things in my family tree that I'm not proud of. I got some rotten fruit in my family tree. There's adultery, broken families, hateful things said and done. And I'm sure the more I learn about my family history, the more junk I'll find. There's all sorts of physical ailments, too. I, I go to the doctor, and they say, can you, can you tell us about your family medical history? And I say, how much time do you have? <laughs> we got cancer, depression, other mental health issues, celiac disease, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, ADHD, and we talk in southern accents. 
I look at my kids sometimes and I think, man, are they going to inherit these things? What about my sins and struggles? Will they have the same issues that I have? Will they make the same mistakes I made? Are they destined to repeat the sins of our family? Maybe you wonder the same thing about your family. Maybe your family history has some messed up parts like mine does. Maybe there's trauma, brokenness, unforgiveness. Maybe there's parts of your family tree you don't even know, you don't even want to know. Maybe the very presence of your last name brings with it shame and fear that you'll end up just like everyone else who came before you. Here's the truth we need to embrace. Yeah, we all have rotten rotten fruit hanging on our family tree. We all have messed up past and histories, and we can't change it. In fact, we're just making it worse with our own sin. Because we're all related to our one common ancestor, our father Adam, and therefore we've all inherited guilt and death. We can't avoid it, we can't ignore it, and we cannot fix it. But here's the good news. We can plant a new family tree, both spiritually and physically. We can change our spiritual ancestry by choosing to follow our true and better ancestor, Jesus Christ. Look back with me at verse 17 one more time. Paul says, before, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. You see that word? One word, it's the word receive. Receive. Whereas we all come from Adam automatically, we didn't have a choice in the matter. Jesus comes to those who will receive him. We have a choice to change our spiritual DNA. We can become a new person. We can be forgiven of our past and start over. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter who our family is or what our last name says, our past does not define us. Our family does not define us. Even our medical history does not define us. God can heal and redeem all that too. If not here, one day he will in heaven. When we receive Jesus, we receive eternal life, new life, and we become a part of a greater family, a perfect family. We have God as our father, Jesus as our brother, and siblings from every tribe, nation, and tongue around the world. That's how we begin to rewrite our spiritual ancestry. So let me ask you this morning, if you were to trace your spiritual ancestry, if you were to sketch out that spiritual family tree, where does it go? Are you still living in the family line of Adam, stuck in sin and headed for death? Are you still living with the pain of regret and guilt and shame? Or have you received Jesus as your Savior and joined his new family? Listen to me. You can do that today. You can be saved from your sin and your past. And you can have a brand new life today if you will simply place your faith in Jesus. If you'll simply receive him, then then God's grace will cancel out all your sin and do so much more than you know. So where do you trace your spiritual ancestry to today? I don't know about you, but I'm going back to the cross where my sin was taken away. And back to the resurrection where my death was defeated. And back to the day I was seven years old in my bedroom when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's my story. 
That's my heritage. That's my family. Yes, it started in Adam, but it's finishing in Jesus. What about you? Is that your story? Let's go to the Lord now in prayer.